Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. For those of us in USDA Zone 9, protecting citrus trees from a frost or freeze is a primary concern. But what about all the gardeners in USDA Zones 9, 8, and 7 that have a yard full of succulents this time of year? What's the best way to protect them from cold damage? We talk with the plant lady, Marlene Simon. She's from the UC Davis Botanical Conservatory, and she has tips for keeping your succulents alive through the winter. And some of her tips just might be the direct opposite of what you're doing. It's on episode 69 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. If you have succulents, you know the danger of frost, and it depends really where you live. In USDA Zone 9, the average frost season is usually December 1st through March 1st. In Zone 8, December 1st through April 1st. USDA Zone 7, November 15th through April 15th. Anyway, if you have succulents, be it probably USDA Zones 9, 8, or 7, you need to protect them when the temperature is threatened below 32 degrees. We're talking with Marlene Simon, host and producer of the Flower Power Garden Hour podcast. You can find her on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Marlene the Plant Lady. And she works with succulents every day. Marlene, what is it you do for a living? I call myself the staff horticulturalist. So um, horticulturalist, I take care of plants at the UC Davis Botanical Conservatory. We, in our collection, we haven't counted, but we think we have around 4,000 different species of plants. And a lot of them are under glass. And these are plants that obviously can't grow outside in our area. Um, so yeah, we even have succulents under glass because as you were saying, you know, some have to be protected from from the cold. Actually, and some even don't even like temperatures below 50. You know, it really just depends on where they're native to. What is the temperature inside the conservatory? What's the range usually? For our succulent room, we try not to allow it to, to get below 65, but it, it will sometimes hit down to about 55. It's an old greenhouse. It's really difficult to keep, you know, the parameters. It's big parameter swings, basically. Having all those plants nearby gives you plenty of photo opportunities. And I would invite uh, listeners to check out your Instagram feed for pictures of wild and crazy plants. Yeah, they're, some of them are quite unusual. Um, some of our succulents are quite unusual, of course. And then we also are known for being one of the first to get the uh, corpse plant, the Amorphophallus titanum, to bloom. Um, we have a collection of carnivorous plants. And the miracle berry, the one that when you eat something sour, you eat a miracle berry and afterwards it makes the sour taste sweet. So, you know, we have a hodgepodge, some very rare plants, too. By the way, the corpse plant is true to its name. If you like the smell of rotting flesh, take a gander, take a sniff the next time somebody <laughs> in your area says a corpse plant is blooming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you know the smell of death, that it's a very distinct smell. People are like, how do you know the smell of death? Well, we have rats that die in the greenhouse. And, uh... well, there's that, yes. <laughs> and, and it's a fly trap, too. Well, it's pollinated by uh, it's pollinated by flies and dung beetles. So they like that smell because it, they like rotting things and dead things. And they uh, lay their eggs on it because that's what their babies eat. But then they get tricked and they lay their eggs on it. But as they're walking around the flowers, they pick up the pollen and move to another one. Folks, I bet you didn't know flies could be pollinators. Number three, number three pollinator in the world. Whoa. 
Yep. Okay, well, then who's number one and number two? Uh, number one, bees and wasps. They group them together. Number two, butterflies and moths. And number three are flies. Well, yeah. so be careful with that fly swatter out there. Yeah. Maybe not so much your house flies. But, <laughs> yes. You know. All right. Well, we're here to talk about succulents and frost. Who knows more than you? Uh, I don't know. Well, a lot of people do about succulents. There are some amazing, amazing collectors out there. Let's define, first of all, <laughs> what a succulent is. Perfect. Okay. So, you know, I get this, someone even, I posted a picture of a cactus and they're like, oh, isn't that in the succulent family? So a succulent is just basically even saying, it's a descriptor. It's saying almost like a, a shrub or a, uh, a ground cover. A succulent is any plant that has an abundant or more than, quote, normal amount of moisture stored in their leaves or stems. And of course, most of them are found in dry desert areas, but not necessarily. I even consider plumeria succulent-like. So really, it's just, a, it's just a, a way of storing water for them. And there's a whole bunch of different succulents in different families. Of course, the most you know famous family is probably the cactus family, which is the cactaceae. And then you have the euphorbia family, which is found all over the world, your Crassulaceae family, uh, you know, Echeverias and Sedums that people quote are the cute ones, um, Dideriaceae family that's only found on Madagascar. You know, we even consider, you know, like I said, the Plumeria, there's even uh, members of the cucumber that are considered, quote, a little bit succulent. And talk about growing plants outside their home region. How many people have gone to Hawaii, marveled at the Plumeria, <laughs> and then bought a root over there, brought it home, sprouted it, and uh, next thing you know is it's looking beautiful out there on the back porch, and then October comes, and all of a sudden it sort of goes in decline, and that's why a lot of people bring their Plumerias indoors in the wintertime. That is correct. And that's that's really the safest way. A lot of times you can, ha like at the conservatory, we have multiple ones, but they're between the greenhouses. They're tucked in amongst plants. So the two greenhouses, of course, radiate some heat. Um, they're undercover because as they drop leaves and go dormant, you want to taper off the water so you don't want the winter rains to just bombard them. So if you bring them inside, expect for them to drop their leaves and then taper back the water. But then, yes, move them outside as soon as you can, because as soon as they break dormancy, there's not enough light inside. Even by a sunny window is still not as sunny as a filtered shade area. Uh, spider mites are a huge thing with Plumeria too. So if you don't kill it with the frost, spider mites are going to get them. <laughs> <laughs> if it isn't one thing, it's another. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Well, I guess a good tip then for those raising succulents in climates that get below 32 degrees mm -hmm. would be keep them in containers you can easily move. Yeah. So... You know, as I was describing, succulents are found all over the world. There's even a cactus uh, species up in Canada. So that cacti species could handle like negative 20 degrees. And if you look at some of our deserts in um, SoCal and Arizona, there's cacti covered in, in snow. For the most part, a lot of cacti, because they're only found in North and South America, if they're not from South America in the, in the tropical regions, they could handle being in the ground as long as there's good drainage. That's key through the winter. Now, if you take a, a certain aloe from one location from South Africa, that their temperatures never get below, you know, 45. It could be a 45 degree night or a 40 degree night that could be detrimental to your plant. So when people ask me, oh, what should I do to my succulents for the winter? I say, well, if you don't know where they're native to or you don't know the name and you can't research where they're native to, when in doubt, of course, grow them in pots so you can move them either inside or up close to the house, um, cover them with a sheet, of course, not plastic, take it off, you know, the next day when it warms up. 
And then if you have it in the ground and it hasn't gone through a winter, cover it. But you really, ideally, I hate when nurseries don't label their succulents. They just label them succulent. <laughs> so that's <laughs> like saying tropical plant. plant. Yeah, exactly. That's a plant. So really, it's it's the cold, but also they need really good drainage in the winter, too. So that's the other reason why in pots are great, because you can move them up under the under eaves of your house. If they're just in sopping, sopping wet water, you know, there's they could over, you know, the rots could get uh, rotted away. What they do is they actually, if you notice your succulent sort of wrinkling in winter, they actually move some of the moisture out of their leaves to prevent in case there is cold. You never want to go into a frost with your succulent well watered in because that's like, you know, if you put water in something and, and, and you freeze it and it expands, it could literally burst cells. Whereas with leafy plants, you want to go into a frost with them well watered in because if they're not, that means they're stressed and they're not going to handle the frost as well. So if you notice your your succulents sort of wrinkling, uh, it could be that it's moving the moisture out and it's protecting itself. It's doing its job for you. Excellent tip, because a lot of people who live in citrus growing regions are very used to watering their citrus before an expected frost or freeze Mm -hmm. to sort of insulate the soil from uh, lower temperatures. However, succulents, different story. You don't want wet succulent soil going into a frost or a freeze. No, you don't. It's just the way their vascular system is. They, They have way more moisture. If there's any damage that occurs on the roots, Um, and bacteria enters, it just has a field day with all that moisture. Um, So that's one of the main reasons too, is it's, you know, bacteria is a big problem. But but yeah, so those are, it's sort of just the opposite of leaf, leafy plants. But I always say when in doubt, if you don't know the name of your succulent or you don't know where it's native to, and it hasn't been through a winter before, if it's already gone through a winter and we've had frost, you should, you know, you should know its story and you should go, okay, it can handle this. Of course, you know, there's those every 10 years we get severe frosts. But, you know, I had a friend who is a big succulent grower. He was an expert in carnivorous plants. He moved into succulents. He redid his whole front yard in succulents. I have a picture of the first year he planted stuff and it looks like ghosts because he has cotton sheets all over his plants. And then it just was too much work. So he decided, okay, I'm not going to cover them. You know, I know where they're from. I know the names of them. They're borderline. We'll see. And, you know, they died. He's like, eh, okay, it wasn't meant to be in my garden. Yep, exactly. Uh, You got to try it and and see what happens. I think one mistake a lot of people make is they go into panic at -hmm. the first frost that happens and they forget to cover their plants or move their plants. And the next day they go outside and the plant looks okay. They figure, oh, well, this plant is frost hardy. Then they forget about the plant. And then frost number two, frost number three, freeze number four, whatever happens, they go out in the yard and, uh uh-oh, there's dead leaves. Yeah, that's true because it is, it's sort of a cumulative effect as well. You know, they might be able to handle one night of that, that freeze. And then, you know, as more and more come along, the plant suffers more and more. If there is frost damage on your plant, of course, obviously move it inside or move it closer to the house. If you can't do that, cover it, but avoid pruning any of the um, sort of uh, severe or the, the frost damage off because that's that's protecting the plant. Of course, if you start noticing it turning brown and moving down the stem, cut about an inch past the brown because that is showing you that there is um, more of a rot happening than just frost damage. But you never want to, and this goes for leafy plants too, if something gets frost damage, leave it on there 
because it's sort of protecting and acting as a barrier for the, the future cold. But wait until spring when plants are actively growing to remove that, especially your succulents. When they warm up, then they could heal those wounds easier when you cut them. You had a good point on a recent Instagram post about covering plants with frost cloths, and you stressed that that frost cloth has to extend all the way down to the ground. Yeah, um, or under a pot if you have it in a pot, or if you can't tuck it underneath a pot, at least pin it to the soil in the pot. Yeah, so I say it's ghosts or lollipops, and I think I read that somewhere. So it wasn't like I was that creative and came up with that, but it's a good. It's a good. Uh, maybe it was you even. I don't know. <laughs> so when you see, you know, think of a ghost. That sheet should be all the way down and pinned to the soil. And the reason being is, if you have moist soil, it's going to radiate heat up. And that's going to create a nice little greenhouse effect around that whole entire plant. Plus, you don't want the trunk being exposed as well. If you make a lollipop and just sort of leave the, the, the trunk exposed and you have the top just covered like a lollipop. So you're not getting the benefits of the soil heating up the plant. And you're also leaving the, uh, the, the trunk exposed. And to a certain extent, sometimes that are really frost sensitive, even, you know, the roots, the, the soil. So yeah, make, make ghosts and, and not lollipops. Exactly. Yeah. Especially with citrus. If you're covering Mm -hmm. citrus trees with frost cloths, you want to extend that frost cloth canopy all the way to the ground, but at the outer drip line of the tree and secure it there because that allows more soil to radiate heat back up into the canopy of the tree. Exactly. Exactly. And and you know, and you don't need to leave them on the following day. Someone mentioned like, oh, I did this and I got so many pests and it ended up killing my plant. Well, they're not meant to be left on throughout the whole entire winter. Most of the plants only need it when we do get a frost or their temperatures go below what they're happy, like, you know, lemons, you know, I mean, I don't even I don't cover my finger lime. Um, I wouldn't cover it unless it gets to 20. Um, But then I would take it off the next day because we're going to warm up to 50 or 60. And I want it to get the sunlight. So Try not to be too lazy of a gardener. I mean, I'm 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 guilty of that. <laughs> well, we all are. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's going to benefit your plants. Not something you want to leave on all winter. Yeah, exactly. Let the sun shine through to help uh, mm-hmm. radiate some heat back onto the soil. Exactly. Yeah. People may not realize that frost cloths come in different weights. They may, you know, jam on down to the garden center when the guy on TV says, oh, it's going to get down to freezing tonight. Mm-hmm. And they just grab the first cloth available. But there are different weights available that offer varying degrees of protection. Yeah. Normally, nurseries only carry one. You know, I think I went to our, yeah, I went to our local ACE and it's one, that was it. You know, so if that's the case, you know, I suppose you could double up on it. I also sometimes, you know, recommend if you have a lot of plants you need to cover, the frost blankets can be a little pricey. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, so cotton sheets, you could buy at a thrift store or at a pretty cheap store if it's, um, but the same thing is if something needs more protection, you could double it up. You don't want to use plastic, of course. And ideally, you know, you would even prop it up above so airflow goes around all the foliage. So it's not just laying on the uh, the foliage, but I'm, I'm guilty of that sometimes if I know I'm going to take it off the next day. One option, too, in case it rains, you don't want heavy cotton on the mm-hmm. plant because that could uh, break the leaves. But a lot of people in their gardening wisdom have found out that if you stick a straight pole up through the middle of the plant or near the middle of the plant and sort of drape that cloth teepee style, it mm-hmm. allows the rain to run off to the sides and you're still protecting the plant as long as that teepee goes all the way to the ground. Yeah, I think we're really lucky in, in zone nine where I'm at is if it's raining, it's generally not a frost. 
So, right. you know, so like it's raining now and I went outside, I'm like, oh, it's quite pleasant out. But, you know, that's not the case. Or if you do forget it and, uh, you know, it rains. But yeah, it's good. It's good. You don't want that. That's why sometimes you don't want to use one of those a heavy blanket, too, because it can, you know, get really heavy and, and snap limbs off. We'll have links in the show notes for where you can find heavier duty frost cloths if you need some more protection uh, from uh, winter weather. But again, frost cloths are only good for a, a few degrees of protection. If you're expecting a hard freeze, your best bet is moving the plant. Yeah. And if you don't know the name of the plant too. You know, we're talking succulents. And if you don't know the name of the plant, you haven't had it for a full year to see how it's, it's you know, grow it in a pot, move it up close to the house, try to find the name ahead of time, because even outside, even protected, it might still be too cold for it. Like I said, we have some succulents that don't want, really want to get below 50. And that's every night for us. So if you have a constant 50 or 45 or 40 degree night, the plant's going to get stressed. And then eventually it's going to just uh, die. I did that with my plumeria. I left it outside. It was sort of a test. I moved it outside because it had spider mites. And, you know, like I said, I consider plumeria somewhat succulent. And it was fine. It was fine. I'm like, oh, it's happy. Oh, it's happy. And then all of a sudden, just wrinkled <laughs> stems and rot. I'm like, not so happy anymore. <laughs> all gardening is local. And there may be areas in your yard with microclimates that are warmer than others. And one uh, strategy is to get yourself a, a digital thermometer that records uh, the day's low and the day's high temperature and uh, put it at various parts of the garden and then compare it to that thermometer you have on the side of the house. The temperature gauge on the side of the house is going to register much higher, giving you a false sense of security about what's happening out in the garden. So stick that digital thermometer out in the garden and notice the temperature difference. I noticed here at, at my place, there could be a six degree difference between what it says on the wall versus what it says out in the citrus orchard. A hundred percent for sure. I always, and I always say, I, I, I describe it as out in the open or, you know, I used to say back 40 out in the open. There's a big difference between even up against a fence tucked amongst plants up in your patio. And I also tell people to utilize your South, your South walls. If you have a South wall, you, it's amazing sometimes what you could overwinter against them because that's going to be the area that radiates the most heat. But of course, you still want a thermometer to check because that could also once again be sort of misleading. Could the opposite happen to a succulent? I know that in my experience, uh, using the effects of a south-facing fence on a concrete patio and having plants, it, it's great for the snow peas this time of year for production. But in the summer, the tomatoes will be dead by July or August because there's way too much heat. What about succulents? Can they be damaged by too much heat? A hundred percent. So some of them are not adapted to full sun. We have a uh, one that comes to mind is called Stapelia. It's actually a fly pollinated member of the milkweed family. And it creeps along the ground, but in the wild, it actually grows on the understory of slightly larger plants. So if you were to put that, even in full sun without a wall, you'll notice discoloration and burning. So if we put it up against a, a south wall, or if you have you know, the succulent leaf, some people send me pictures and they're like, what is this big brown blotch in the center, say, of my jade plant? And that's sunburn. So people aren't aware that some succulents, a lot of succulents can sunburn 
um, with their leaves being exposed to the south exposure. And yeah, and also they can get stressed. And what happens when a succulent gets stressed in, like I mentioned for the winter, what they'll do is they'll move water out and they get more wrinkly. Um, they could also turn red. That is sort of a, uh, a survival mechanism. In the winter, succulents could turn red because if they're stressed for water. We have this group of um, aloe vera, or not aloe vera, just aloes. I made the mistake. People do <laughs> just aloes out in front of the greenhouse, south facing, and we don't water it all summer. It only gets winter rain. So by the end of summer, they're red and their leaves are sort of folded up more. So what they're trying to do is prevent photosynthesis and sun from hitting them. So they're, they sort of like curl up, the leaves curl up and what succulents do is they want to sort of mask their chlorophyll because they don't want to photosynthesize, which requires water use. So the other pigments, the red pigment anthocyanin becomes more dominant. So that's why sometimes your succulents turn turn red in the summer. And sometimes they'll turn red in winter for the same reason as they really aren't photosynthesizing. So they don't need that chlorophyll. Towards the end of winter, people may notice burnt tips on mm -hmm. some of their succulents. What is the best way to prune the tips? Um, wait until spring when new growth occurs, because as soon as you um, cut that, that's a wound. So you don't want rain um, soon after you make those cuts, because that's a perfect entrance for water. And as I stated before, um, they're already full of water. And that's a perfect entrance for bacteria, which could multiply in a, a very moistureful water or leaf. Um, so just you could snip the ends off or you could leave them be, you know, depends on your your aesthetic preferences. But yeah, wait until they start growing actively in spring because they'll heal much better. I would think, too, in considering aesthetics, you might want to prune that leaf in the shape of the other leaves of the plant. If the leaves come to a point, yes. prune it to a point. Yeah, we have a, a prayer plants, marantas. And we have a collection of them in the conservatory. And that's one of our students' tasks that <laughs> sometimes when, we, when we're like, okay, we won't have them scrub floors or clean pots. We'll have them do something fun. Or if we know we have a big group coming through because they're notorious for getting brown leaf edges. And so we'll have them take a little pair of scissors and just sort of trim around the leaves. So yeah, we want them to trim in the shape of the leaf so it looks au natural. There you go. Anything left out here? Um, I really can't stress enough that you know, succulents, it's not a family. It's not one big group of plants that are all grown the same. It's really important to know if you can the name of the plant because that will one prevent you from going, you know, moving it if you don't have to. Um, it'll make your plant much happier. Um, stress also that don't go into a frost watering your succulents and don't have them inundated with moisture. So if you have them in the ground and they rot after the winter and you know it's not the frost and the cold, it's most likely your, your, your soil. So you're going to want to think about amending your soil next time you plant some succulents. And that goes for natives too. You know, I always say it's not the summer that kills your succulents and your native plants. It's the winter wetness that kills most California natives and succulents because they just aren't adapted to that the soils that we have in most most yards. Do you have any uh, good books or websites that you like to use for researching succulents? Uh, I wish I could say yes, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, I mean, I, I'm looking up, so I'm in my office and I'm looking up and we have just like rows and rows of, of succulent books. Every succulent grower, you know, they could become quite, you know, I'm looking at a book that's just lithops. I'm looking at a book that's just succulents from Madagascar. Um, but, you know, 
I don't know how you feel about Dave's Garden online, if you like it or not. What I find I like the best about it is at the very bottom is he has a list of where people are growing the plant Mm -hmm. at. And that's what I utilize the most. So you have to sort of know the name of the plant. But to me, that's that's beneficial because a a zone could tell you, okay, yeah. But then if you say, oh, wait a minute, that town's next to me and someone's growing that or that's my town or that's local to, you know, close to me and they're growing that successfully, then okay. Except for the fact that all gardening is local and they may be growing that plant in a microclimate in their own yard that may be difficult to uh, emulate in your own yard. it's a start and that and that's it and that's why i can't stress enough knowing the name of the plant the succulent um and i wish nurseries would instead just send out you know a, a generic tab uh, label on them that just says succulent or even the family because you know euphorbias are found all over the world and poinsettias in it and then you have other tropical ones but then you have other euphorbias a california native euphorbia that could handle our cold just fine you know, even the family sometimes isn't a great descriptor of it. One of the best succulent books I know of for uh, gardeners, and it's in English, so that helps. <laughs> yeah, but that helps. botanical names as well is by Robin Stockwell, and it's simply called Succulents. Yeah, I don't tend to, you know, I look online a lot more. I have great resources because some of my coworkers and friends are expert growers. So um, I utilize a lot. Of, I, I would say your your local, you know, there's a lot of local garden uh, cacti and succulent clubs. Yes, and if that, you want to get into it or know a little bit more, I recommend joining one of the the clubs. A lot of them are doing their their uh, their meetings through Zoom, and I think that's actually helping maybe grow the, the garden clubs. But yeah, I recommend joining a garden club because it's it's you one you could get cuttings, and two the people in there have been growing for years and years and are a wealth of information, and they're typically you know of course from your area. So yeah, as long as you can deal with prickly people. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. Are they prickles or are they spines? Oh, or yes, foreign sp- uh, prickles or spines. spines. Yeah. Yes. yes. No. Let's not go down that scenic. Okay. Path. Okay. Our, I will. Our, our little five-minute chat turned into a four-wheel drive into uncharted territory at twenty-seven minutes. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I, I like it that you keep it thirty minutes. Yeah. Yes. I like it. I like it versus well, my my rambling. Succulents, we learned a lot this morning from Marlene Simon, host of the Flower Power Garden Hour podcast. And you can find Marlene the Plant Lady at Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Does your botanical conservatory have a website? Uh, It is greenhouse.ucdavis.edu. They'll take you to a page where you could click on the Botanical Conservatory. Unfortunately, at this time, we are closed due to uh, covid um, I'm working just because they're plants and they have to be taken care of. And you're the only um, one there. Um, we, we're staggering sort of our, our we're, we're lucky that we can social distance a lot and we get tested every week um, if you're coming on. Yeah. On, wow. on campus. But we also, you know, I think we have a whole a, a list of aloes that do great. We had an aloe grant um, a few years ago to hybridize ones that will do better. My coworker really likes aloes. So we have a lot of information on aloes. Um, they're a great succulent. But yeah, check it out. And hopefully we'll have on there when we could open back up. And we are open normally Monday through Friday, uh, nine to five free of charge. I thought I was weird leaving my inheritance for spaying and neutering uh, feral cats and somebody left their money for aloes. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Uh-huh. We had one person who passed and he only collected copiopoas, which is one genus of, of cacti. 
So I don't know where his money went, but, you know, when, when he was alive, it went to Copia Poas. And to me, they all looked the same. I don't want to. T- <laughs> well, he can hear you now. Be careful. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, they're beautiful plants. So diverse. Right. So diverse. <laughs> Marlene Simon, the plant lady, Flower Power Garden Hour is her podcast. Marlene, thanks for uh, keeping our succulents warm and cozy. Thank you for having me. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books or websites mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. Plus, you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. Maybe you could leave an audio question without making a phone call. You can do that at SpeakPipe. That's SpeakPipe.com. It's easy. Give it a try. And you just might hear your voice on the Garden Basics podcast. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, put your question in the ratings and reviews section. You can always text us the question and pictures or use your voice to leave a question at 916-292-8964. That's 916-292-8964. You can always use the good old email, fred at farmerfred.com. That's fred at farmerfred.com. And when you leave a question, be sure to tell us where you're from. That will help us greatly to accurately answer your garden questions, because as you know, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to our social media outlets as well, where you can leave questions or make comments. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And there's a link to the FarmerFred.com website. And thanks for listening. The Garden Basics podcast is going to a winter schedule, maybe just like your favorite local nursery. November through January, Garden Basics will come out once a week on Fridays. Then as the weather warms back up in February, we'll return to our twice a week schedule. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate that you've included us in your garden life.